You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Welcome along to episode 113 of Null and Void. We're delighted you're with us again. It truly wouldn't be the same without you. Tonight, we have a plethora of World Cups to talk about, from netball through football to rugby. We have your contacts and a great target for Get a Grip. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, my weekend was a mix of gardening, as usual, the lawns, chasing rabbits, not for the sporting side of things, but they're overrunning our garden and eating all Sue's plants. She's not a happy bunny about that at all. <laughs> I was outside of that watching netball, some excellent netball, um, disappointing in the end, but men's and women's football. So good variety of sports. I enjoyed that. How about you? Well, I'm just busy chuckling at this image of you as Elmer Fudd going along going, be very, very quiet. Oh, I'm hunting rabbits. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, well, my Saturday was slightly different. I was running my mum to the airport over to Luton to uh, fly up to Inverness for a week with her family up there in Scotland. So uh, she sadly didn't take the rain with her. I think it was already up there and it stayed up there with her. But um, And then got back, made it back in time, just in time to see the Scotland-France Rugby World Cup warm-up game, which was a cracking game. We'll talk about that a bit later on, including a first in international rugby. But we will tell you more about that later, dear listener. Okay, right. I got netball first, Andy, because it's it's been one hell of an event, the World Cup there. And England, I think, did ever so well to reach their first ever World Cup final. Their opponents, Australia, and this is the third successive tournament they've won, um, it just showed on the day. Um, I said to you, I think they just had too much experience. And I think, yeah, freezing happens sometimes when you're looking at the opposition and they just seem so, you know, they're almost in awe of them. Despite the fact they've beaten them earlier in the tournament, I mm-hmm. think that may have been the peak of what they could do. And Australia just pummeled them. And the, the score in the end, I think, represented, what was it, 45-61, just showed the gap in class on the day. But having said that, we should be congratulating the England team, uh, uh, the Red Roses, for getting to the final in the first place. So well done to them. Disappointing on the day, yes, but mm. you lost to a very good team. I mean, yeah, I watched it and I've not followed netball as closely as you have this season, so um, not as much of an expert, but it just struck me that Australia had that extra gear when the pressure was on, when they needed to, they knew how to get out of those difficult situations, which is is about final experience. And as you say, England's first ever World Cup final, so... By virtue of that, they're not going to have that same depth and wealth of experience. I thought they did brilliantly in the week to beat Australia in a really close, exciting game, 56-55. And then they beat the holders New Zealand in the semis, 52-45. So great performances, um, uh, but just, yeah, edged out in the end. Um, And then uh, Jamaica beat New Zealand as well to take the bronze medal. So really good performance yeah. there by Jamaica. 
yeah, I mean, the top four in the end, Australia, England, Jamaica, New Zealand. Interestingly, Scotland beat Wales in one of the playoff games there, and they finished ninth and 10th, so Scotland ahead of Wales in the 16-team tournament. The venue Cape Town in, in South Africa seemed to me to manage the whole tournament extremely well. It was impressive the way it was all done. It ran to time and some great games as well. Mm. Okay, um, another World Cup. We may as well move on to the next World Cup. Uh, Women's World Cup football moves now into its third week and the quarterfinals. But talk about high drama for England. They were outplayed, I don't think there's any other way of saying it, by Nigeria for virtually the whole match. And they were down to 10 players in extra time. Lauren James, the Chelsea player who's made such an impact, made an even bigger impact by treading on the backside of her opponent. It's a little bit like remembering David Beckham, you know, petulant. I mean, Lauren James, I think more than anything, was frustrated because she'd hardly had a kick in the game. They marked her out of it. And yeah, she, she obviously she certainly had a kick of the uh, Nigerian player on the deck. Well, a set kick. It wasn't. A, it wasn't even a stamp. I mean, no, in, rug, in no. rugby, that'd just be saying hello to hello to your opponent. But uh, yeah, obviously, you just can't do that in football. And um, how she thought she was going to get away with it with all the cameras that are on them now. I think it well, was, it, it, as you say, a Russian a, flood. Yeah, it is a shame, Andy, because she'd done so well prior to that. But she's mm. also got to get used to, um, and England do in the next game now with Colombia have to get used to the idea that people aren't going to be pleasant to you all the time. And Colombia are another big physical team. What that actually means... I'm I'm watching Colombia in their uh, round of 16 game today against Jamaica. The antics of simulation and running up to the ref waving imaginary cards. It's something that I absolutely detest in football. And it is starting to creep into rugby as well and other sports. But I think anyone who goes up to the ref and asks for a yellow card should, should get, get one. one. Yeah, no, for I them, agree. not for their opponents. But uh, yeah, I thought Colombia played well today, but the antics just left a sour taste. And unfortunately for Lauren James, I mean, she's definitely suspended for that quarterfinal. But FIFA are looking at, because she was sent off for violent conduct, FIFA can add up to another two games. So if that's the case irrespective of what happens in England's game against Colombia on Saturday, that could be her World Cup over. Yeah, it's a shame, but she'll learn from it, just as Beckham did at that time. Now, um, the quarterfinal lineup. we'll talk about some of the surprises in a minute in terms of teams going out, but quarterfinal lineup for the weekend is England, Colombia, Australia, France, Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, Japan. Some cracking games going to be there without any doubt. And and I guess when you look at some of the surprises or some of the great stories that one of the Jamaican team, having got as far as they did the last 16, was fantastic. But on the day, obviously, what you don't realise is the fundraising that's going on. We do now, you know, and, and Bob Marley's daughter, um, raised, I think, with her cause, um, Football is Freedom, it was entitled, 
raised over 50,000 euros. So great things happening there. And that was, she's, uh, uh, you know, for her to put all that effort in, she didn't have to do it. You know, she loves football, but, and she's a singer, of course, but uh, I thought that was a great effort. And they wouldn't have been there had it not been for that fundraising. No, they've had to run a GoFundMe campaign to even get there. I mean, it had all the hallmarks of the, you remember the Jamaican bobsleigh team at the uh, Winter yeah. Olympics in 1988 in Calgary. So it had a, had a cool runnings feel about it, but definitely a great achievement. And for them to then not only then make it out of the group, but make it out of the group without conceding a goal. In fact, the only goal they've conceded across their four games was today the one that put them out against Colombia. So really great yeah. performance by them when, yeah, you know, they, they've not had even the funding or the support to get to the World Cup from their own association. And it's had to rely on people like Bob Marley's daughter to raise that money for them. So a brilliant story, fantastic for them. And let's hope that this has really now ignited something that they can build on. And it made an interesting tournament because you've got Germany, Italy and Argentina who never made it to the last 16. So, you know, some great stories there as well. Some real heroics and very enjoyable to watch. Uh, most of the games, you know, were, were really entertaining and high skill level. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I found the USA-Sweden penalty shootout really exciting. I know penalties is a difficult way to win or lose a game. Yeah. But uh, um, and as much as fans criticize VAR, Sweden's final penalty in the shootout showed where VAR has its value and its place because in the past that may not have been given to the naked eye. You couldn't tell whether the ball was no. fully over the line, but when they played it back, it was. I say clearly, I mean, VAR showed it was by the barest of margins <laughs> yeah. yeah probably about a gnat's wings width yeah uh to get on there but that that's all it needs um and yeah it was uh i think the american keeper didn't look too happy that that had been given but it it was over the line you know so um all i'm saying is i'm glad that var is in now and wasn't around in 1966 yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Uh, amazingly, uh, at the same weekend on Sunday, the Community Shield match happened between Arsenal and Manchester City. It seems to have crept up so quickly. Um, and Arsenal won on penalties, as we now know. Uh, and next week, the Premier League starts. And for me, uh, I quite like the break between the end of the season and the start of the next so I'm gearing myself up for that now because it's nine months of tension that you're going to go through. <laughs> I'm going to go through anyway. Um, but bring it on. Uh, I reckon we need Billy Carr back, don't we, to um, to do a reprise of the of the new season. Is I mean, he around? Yeah. Should we get him? Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll definitely get him lined up and uh, we can have a chat with him about what he thinks is going to happen and coming up over the coming season. It seemed, As you say, it seems only five minutes ago we were talking with him and doing a review of last season. So yeah. it has really rattled by. Um, I mean, it does make me laugh. Arsenal fans who've long derided the Community Shield or Charity Shield now suddenly claiming that it's a major trophy once they've won it again. But even, even more ludicrous is their North London rivals. So 
Tottenham's wait for silverware is over. Yeah. <laughs> After they beat the um, Lions City Sailors 5-1 in Singapore to win the Tiger Cup. Well done, Spurs. Tiger and Cup. If, if you'd seen the way they were celebrating, you'd have thought it was the league title or the FA Cup. Um, it was quite painful to watch and really <laughs> celebrating this silverware. But at least now they can avoid the uh, Office of Fair Trading investigation. They were apparently going to be investigated for calling it a trophy cabinet at White Hart Lane <laughs> and not just a cabinet. <laughs> nice one. Um, you you got it. I mean, amazingly also, I know this because I played, but the qualifying and before even the prelim rounds of the FA Cup are happening now. You got a local result for us. Yeah. Um, so it was the preliminary, sorry, the extra preliminary round of qualifying. So they have the extra preliminary round, the preliminary round, and then the first, second, third, and fourth qualifying rounds before you even get to the first round proper in October, yeah. November. So you've got potentially six rounds. But Wallingford and Crowmarsh, who are a team very local to us, are through to the preliminary round of the FA Cup qualifying. Uh, they beat Chalfont 3-1 away on Saturday, Chalfont St. Peter. And they'll now play another local side um, at home on the 19th of August in the preliminary round where they take on Marlow. So if oh. they win that, they're into the first qualifying round. And that means they're only 11 wins away from Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm sniggering, but I, I also know the heartache of all of that playing through those prelim rounds. Uh, I, I played with a team that got to the last prelim um, before the first round. But in that game, we drew away. I think it was up at Darlington. And in the replay... We lost, so we didn't get, and we, we, we rather we should have played Darlington if we got through. But it, I think it was South Shields we played, and and we lost in the replay. So I never played in the first round of the FA Cup. So I imagine the heartache of any and go along with any of those teams who are going through that process now. Mm. Yeah. And I think what and is the, great is that a lot of these teams play in very much sort of because of the costs and the finances of running team playing local and regional leagues. And actually, this is an opportunity. Like you say, you were playing, you know, for a team, I'm I'm guessing in the Northwest. Yeah. And was. you were going over to play South Shields. Um and, you know, all the exotic sites of the uh the Northumberland coastline. More yeah. of that later, folks. Um but <laughs> we uh you know there is that opportunity for teams like Wallingford and Crow Marsh and great that they've made it through to this. I'm not deriding their opportunity that hopefully if they can go further or Marlow go further, whoever wins that game can start to get some games further afield and therefore get that experience as well, which I think is a great part of um, this tournament. I know I followed Abingdon Town when they made it right through to the very final game and then we travelled down in a bus trip down to uh, Cumbran, all the way down to uh, deepest, darkest Wales, right in in the home of the Viet Taff and uh, yeah, I think, you know, that was a great, great day out. But again, sadly, Abingdon lost that one, but it was great to uh, go and watch them. Yeah. OK. Um, I got swimming 
within triathlon. Um, now, remember last week, you insulted those poor people. I don't mean lack of money, but poor people of Sunderland who were hosting the World Triathlon Championships. You suggested that the swimmers would be in peril swimming anywhere around there. What's actually happened, Andy? Because I think you, for once, have been proved right. They were, yeah. Um, I can only safely say uh, Sunderland, I think, would be the uh, phrase to use. <laughs> and I use that um, advisedly and accurately because after the event, 57 of the competitors have come down with sickness and diarrhoea um, caused by the swimming. Now, the British Triathlon tested the water before the event, as they always do, and said it was safe. But the environment agency tests from just a little bit further along the coast showed E. coli levels 39 times higher than expected. So it wasn't shopping trolleys that were <laughs> um, the risk to uh, swimmers, as I said last week, but more, um, I think they've been affectionately referred to previously by the people as Mersey Trouts, I think. Yeah, so it's not yet known where that pollution came from, but surfers against sewage that group who have um, surfers who surf in that area said it's likely to be sewage discharge. And again, a lot of the water companies where they're all struggling for cash, and is it like our local water company, 19 billion in debt or whatever it is at the moment, as a result, they're not managing the sewage discharges the way they should be, especially in high rain and uh, high flood levels. So the Australian triathlete Jacob Braithwaite Described the conditions as like swimming in, mate. Um, well, it was Sunderland, Jacob. Um, and I'm also avoiding any jokes about some athletes were competitive while others were just going through the motions. <laughs> Good line. I like that. I like that. Now, but, but Paris was also hit by water quality problems um, this weekend. And that's probably the only time that Paris and Sunderland are ever going to be mentioned in the same sentence. Yeah, uh, but the World Open Water Swimming World Cup event in Paris this weekend was cancelled due to pollution levels in the Seine. Um, and again, that was high rainfall levels in the week before it caused those pollution levels. And this was an Olympic test event, which is a big concern for the Paris 2024 organisers because the Seine is going to be used for both the, the marathon open water swimming and the triathlon, so they don't want a repeat of uh, Sunderland problems. So they've, they've apparently been assured by the Parisian authorities and water authorities that there are further steps being put in place so that if it is a wet summer next summer like this year, then that won't happen in the run-up to the Olympics. But a real concern, I mean, triathlon has got its olympic test event there in two weeks and they're already putting in plans place plans that if the water le pollution levels are still too high um so unlike sunderland they'll catch it this time as opposed to catching the e coli um yep. then uh they'll just change it to a duathlon which will be a run bike run but yeah real problems there and as i say sunderland after the honor of hosting an international sporting event. Um, obviously now it's come back to uh, bite them and not look so good uh, because of the uh, pollution levels in the water. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, well, well, we'll leave them there, but Paris and Sunderland in the same sentence. Now, uh, cycling Glasgow, uh, World Championships there. That's a, a lot going on there, and we've got fantastic performances, haven't we, from the athletes? Yeah, um, it, brilliant event, and there's been some fantastic races going on. Um, I was glued to the uh, men's road race, which is obviously, you know, a one-day version of uh, the sort of racing that takes place in the Tour de France. Not even going to mention the idiots that uh, caused a stoppage in the race by gluing themselves to the road. I think um, we've talked enough about those uh, prats um, over previous episodes. But, uh, yeah, Great Britain at the top of the medal table, way ahead, actually, in fact, with 17 gold, eight silver and 15 bronze medals as we speak. And some of the standout performances are the Women's Madison and the Women's Pursuit teams, both taking gold. Uh, Charlie Hatton, fantastic race in the uh, men's downhill mountain biking. And then just today, uh, Kieran Riley uh, in the BMX Freestyle Park took the gold as well. So some real standout performances there. And at the same time, the paracycling is also taking place. Mm. So it's a combined event. First time ever that that's happened. And Great Britain are also top there with 15 gold, eight silver and three bronze medals. And that haul includes three golds for Jacko Van Gas in the one kilometer time trial. The Omnium, which is that one that's a number of events. And I think no one knows quite exactly what's happening in the Omnium. It's all... It's a real madcap, no. uh, harem scare until the very final bell. And then also in the scratch race. So, yeah, three golds for him. And as I say, in the uh, men's uh, road race, then that was a real battle of the Titans, which was won by Dutch rider Mathieu van der Poel, who has obviously um, excelled in previous Tour de France. Uh, Woot van Aert, who we've mentioned previously, the summer was in second place. And then the Tour de France runner-up, Tadej Pogacar, was in third place. And that was uh, he took that third, that bronze medal in a sprint finish, just edging out his opponent. So really exciting finish for that road race. Good, good stuff. OK, uh, I got Rugby Union next. I think I, I noted somewhere that Sir Clive Woodward had described the Wales and England game as the worst ever England game he has seen. Eddie Jones says Australia will win the World Cup after their latest defeat. Is he demented or what? I, 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 I think he's got a few kangaroos loose in the top paddock if he thinks Australia <laughs> can win the World Cup. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Clive Woodward as well, saying that that's the worst England performance he's ever seen. This is the same Clive Woodward that was the head coach of England when they lost 76-0 to Australia in Brisbane on the Tour of Hell in 1998. So, I mean, obviously that must have been a pretty bad performance to uh, trump a 76-0 defeat, Clive. But, uh, you know, you won a World Cup, so as you often repeatedly tell us viewers, so uh, I'm sure that you know what you're talking about. Um, I switched it off at 13-9 down, um, as England had already been dire, I think that the game was like two bold men fighting over a cone uh, would be the way I'd describe it. It was absolutely yeah. 
abysmal. Um, I think England could still be playing now and not have scored a try. That box kicking and hoping to get the ball back, just... Um, I mean, the commentators talked about England's last win and against Wales and how they kicked the ball over a 1,000 metres as if this was something to celebrate. Um, and England seemed to think that this was the way to do it. I mean, in the Six Nations, we said that Borkic had only been in the job a short time and only had a few weeks with the players. Well, now he's had two months full-time with the players and it's clear to see he's been successful in coaching any creativity and initiative out of them whatsoever. So, um, yeah, basically, if anyone's looking for four World Cup tickets, accommodation and travel included, get in touch <laughs> with me on our email address. <laughs> now, just to cheer you up, what were the other results? Uh, there was some great, I mean, the Scotland-France game was fantastic. I mean, Scotland were 21-3 down at half time, um, being beaten by a really good French performance in the first half. And Scotland just weren't quite firing. It was they were playing well, but they weren't quite clicking. They looked rusty. They came out in the second half, and it was like a completely different side, creating much quicker ball that allowed Finn Russell to play on the front foot. And despite playing the last 29 minutes with 14 men, due to Xander Fagerson being the first player in world rugby to be sent off under the new bunker system, Scotland went on to win 25-21. And a great performance. So the bunker system, for those who are unfamiliar with it or missed the explanation the other week, instead of it being a red card now, what will happen is that a player will get a yellow card and then go to the sim bin. And whilst they are in the sim bin, the video ref will review the footage. So rather than stop the game and have 10 minutes worth of video reviews before a decision, they've got eight minutes of that sim bin yellow card, 10 minutes to make a decision does that player return to the field or is it upgraded to a red card? So Xander Fagerson has the dubious honour of being the first player to be caught under that system. I think it, it was the right call. It's one of those very borderline ones. But I think on the balance of probabilities, it was correct. The shame for him now is it's his World Cup hangs in the balance because depending on how many weeks ban that the International Rugby Board give him, could mean that his World Cup is over um, unless he manages to pull a Johnny Sexton. Uh, so, But I don't think he'll be able to in this one. I think he will be facing some sort of ban that could be, I think, anything up to four to six weeks. So that could be uh, difficult for him. But yeah, Scotland came back to win 25-21. New Zealand had a massive comeback from being 17-3 down at halftime to Eddie Jones's Australia, but won 23-20 with a last-minute penalty condemning Eddie to his fourth successive defeat since taking over as the Wallabies' head coach, which is why I think that he's talking cloud cuckoo land if he thinks the Aussies are going to win the World Cup. Um, they're going in devoid of hope, devoid of confidence, and devoid of a good coach. So <laughs> I think that there's problems there. The Springboks also had to come from behind at halftime. Um, and then they over overcame uh, a 10-3 deficit to beat Argentina 24-13 in Buenos Aires. And the only team that didn't have to come from behind at halftime was Ireland. It was plain sailing for them as they cruised to a 33-17 win over Italy in Dublin. So it all moves on again this week. And England play Wales 
at Twickenham. Borkick has named his World Cup 33. I think the surprise emissions, I mean, it had pretty much been leaked in the press by Sunday tea time, but Henry Slade, the centre, isn't going. Johnny May, the winger, isn't going. And Mako Vinopola, the prop. I think they were the three that people thought might be in with a shout who weren't. I think the others were pretty much as expected. But in fairness, if they stick with the game plan that ball kick seems to have, which is uh, box kick, tackle, box kick, tackle, um, I don't think it matters who the personnel are. I think England are going to struggle to uh, mm. make an impact. Okay. Depressing, that sounds. <laughs> Rugby league next. Um, now, even in defeat, my Wakefield team go on winning. How's that then, Andy? Well, they, they did, but uh, to keep the uh, theme of me being uh, Captain Doom and Gloom today, unfortunately, they are back to the bottom of what? the table. They were briefly, on by virtue of, on Saturday, Castleford lost um, to Huddersfield, and as a result, on points difference, Wakefield were off the bottom of the table. That's what up, I knew, yeah. Up to 11th. Unfortunately, they were then beaten 42-4 at Hull on Sunday. And as a result, they're back down to the bottom of the table at the moment. Having so said depressing. that, though, Castleford sacked their coach, Andy Last. Um, and it looks increasingly like that game against Wakefield in two weeks' time on the 19th of August could be the relegation decider. I think whoever wins that with only two or three games left in the regular season I think they they are the ones that will be most likely to stay up. Mm. Okay. But then um, this weekend is the Men's and Women's Challenge Cup final. It's one of my favourite weekends in the Rugby League calendar. And it's back at Wembley this year. So all the tradition, you know, Jerusalem and Abide With Me and everything like that. And, uh, you know, all the fans in their different shirts. Really looking forward to it. So it's a... Uh, Old Kingston Rovers against Lee in the men's. And that's the first time Lee have been in the final in 60 years plus. So great to see them there. And then in the women's, St. Helens take on the current holders, Leeds. So two cracking games there at Wembley on Saturday. Excellent. Right. Um, athletics. Now, another void, as you know, we like to bring you weird but true sports stories that surround world records. Uh, and, and try this one. From China, where the University World Championships have just been held, in the 100 metres event, and I put in parentheses here, sprint, the Somalian team member finished last. Well, somebody has to, you might say, but she finished in nearly 21 seconds. Now that's a new world slow record for that event. Who was this athlete? Well, I'll tell you, it was Nazra Abuka Ali. Who is she? Well, I'll tell you something. She's the niece of this Somalian coach. Oh. He put her in and that's what actually happened. I can imagine what the rest of the team was thinking. But subsequently, that coach has been suspended for nepotism. Of all the things, <laughs> I just think that's a wonderful story. I mean, isn't sport wonderful? It can come up with occasions like that. 
I read it so many times through. I thought, that is brilliant. That has to be on Null and Void. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, what was he thinking apart from, I'll get my niece a uh, an international jersey? I actually saw the video of the run. And she kind of... Uh, surely you're using the word run very loosely there. Very loosely, but 20 she, sort of, she sort of um, sidled along. You know, it was it didn't seem concerned about the fact the other people had finished and were having a coffee, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. I mean, I, I love all of that. Keep, keep them coming. Sport is wonderful for that. And cricket, um, I got next, and the 100 is underway, isn't it? Yeah, although it's been very much affected by rain in the first week. Um, we'll talk more about that a bit later on uh, and get a grip. But the Northern Superchargers and Manchester Originals, currently the top two in the men's, and then Welsh Fire in the women's, uh, who Welsh Fire didn't win a game last season in the women's tournament. They're top with two wins and one uh, no results rained off so far in the table. But uh, Manchester Originals are unbeaten. They were unbeaten up to yesterday's game because they'd had two games rained off in the in the women's uh, tournament. We all know about the rain in Manchester after the test match up there. But uh, in the one game that the Originals have managed to play, which was yesterday, Fee Morris took the best figures for a bowler in the 100. Not just in the women's hundred, but in the hundred overall, men's and women's. Um, so it was the first women's fifer, and the best figures for any bowler. And she took five wickets for seven runs. That's that's not bad. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. And she was supported by the England spinner Sophie Eccleston, who's the number one bowler in the world, who took four wickets for eleven runs in the same innings. So they skittled Birmingham Phoenix for just 87. Um, they then made hard work of the run chase. We were actually doing our editorial, preparing the uh, this um, recording as I was watching it and you and I were talking it through. And uh, yeah, I mean, Manchester, they only got the 88 with three balls left to play. And they were five, five wickets five down. Wickets. Yeah, 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 so they, they certainly made hard work of that and nearly undid all the good work by Fee Morrison and Eccleston, but a great performance. Just so real shout out to Fee Morris for those figures. I don't think you'll see anything like that in top flight cricket or rarely do, you know, five for seven. Yeah. No, and then talking about rarities, you had one in one of the men's games, didn't you? Yeah, it was a tie. I hardly... I hesitate saying that with your mum's confusion about ties and draws, but it was a tie, wasn't it? The first ever. Yes, yes. So the first, certainly first ever in the uh, 100. 100. And yeah. they're, a, they're a rarity in cricket anyway. So a draw is in the four-day games or five-day games where neither side gets the scores or neither side gets the other team out twice. Um no results can be a draw where it's rained off, which we've had a few of in the last week. And then the other type of draw, so there are three types in cricket, is a tie where both teams end up on exactly the same number of runs. And that's exactly what happened between the Oval Invincibles and Welsh Fire men's teams. So they tied on 138 runs each. So, yeah, they get 
they get a share of the points in the league table in that one. All right. Well, I, I send out to my elite group the podcast each week. So when we send this one out, I want you to follow up with a phone call quite quickly to your mum to further explain. <laughs> you might okay. need to send it with a health warning. Yeah, yeah indeed. Okay. Uh, I got the final one of rowing. Um, a long last British rowing has now ruled on the transgender rowers issue. Transgender females can no longer compete in female events. There will be an open category event into which they can enter. Clarification has been sought for some time now and rowing is now coming into line with some of the other sports. It's an important decision, but um, definitely needed clarification. Yeah, I mean, without getting into the politics of whether the decision is right or not, what was definitely wrong was leaving it down to putting it on the shoulders of umpires in yes. individual events and races. Crazy, crazy. Uh, that's completely wrong and unfair to put that pressure on them and put them in that situation. So I think, you know, whether people agree with the decision or not, at least it's not now being put onto the shoulders of as we found when we spoke with the rogue umpire we had as a guest most of them are all volunteers uh yeah. they're not paid for doing that and uh the events and things like that they are people who are passionate about rowing and people who are volunteers giving up their time to support the sport so i think it is right that the decision doesn't have to fall to them to make in what obviously will be um, a heated and you know feelings will run strong and high on both sides of that uh, that debate. So you know without getting into the yeah. rights and wrongs, definitely good that it's not now being have having to be made by umpires on the day yeah. in these events. Okay, uh, contacts. I got one from Mike Smith. Um, Again, in the elite group I sent out the podcast to, after he listened to it, he said, cheers, Tony, another episode that was very easy on the ears. He then goes on to say, I'll leave it uh, for you to fill in the gag line about references to easy on the eyes. <laughs> and I think you know, Mike, that we record this podcast in audio only. We're not daft. We don't want to set our, our listeners. Uh, and they don't want to see it, our ugly mushies. So we think that's a better solution. It, it's been said that we've both got a great face for radio. <laughs> yes, it, in, indeed. So, Mike, as ever, you're right. Right, thank you for that. Um, now, time for us to have a go. Well, you, Andy, to have a go on Get a Grip. Who's in the firing line this week? Cricket, and in particular the ECB, one of my favourite um, targets for our Get a Grips because they are the gift that keeps on giving. So we talked about the hundred being rain affected. Now the hundred isn't hasn't proved to be universally popular. I think divided opinion amongst cricket fans as to whether it's a good thing or not. But I'll admit I'm enjoying it. I've been enjoying the games and the commentary, and I think the coverage um, both by both. Sky and BBC is very, very good. However, a situation occurred at the weekend in two games that showed no matter how far we've come in looking for equity between men's and women's cricket, there's still work to be done. 
So the Manchester Originals were due to play London Spirit and Birmingham Phoenix were due to play Trent Rockets. And both of them were double headers. So the women's game first and then the men's games later on. Um, rain prevented play at the designated start time. So it was 11 o'clock in Manchester that play was due to start in the women's game and 2.30 in Birmingham. Uh, the games were called off within an hour of their designated start time. Um, and conditions were moving towards being playable for a shortened game. In the 100, you only need 25 balls to be bowled by each side for you to have a, a, a valid game. You know, in white ball cricket, you can reduce the number of uh, deliveries or overs in other games. We don't have overs in the 100, so it would be balls delivered. So 25 balls, they could have got that in. But the games were called off because... The likely, well, the likelihood is they could have got the games into the time available when the weather was good. There was that brief period on Saturday afternoon where, lo and behold, there was this weird thing in the sky <laughs> that we haven't seen for a long time. Big yellow thing that I'm reliably informed is called the sun. Um, but the tournament rules say that the men's start time, designated start time, can't be delayed to accommodate an earlier women's fixture. So irrespective of whether they could have squeezed the women's game in and maybe started the men's game 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later, an hour later, that was decided that they couldn't. And not by the umpires and the teams, no fault lies with them. The umpires and the teams wanted to be able to do that. But the tournament rules and regulations state that the men's time is sacrosanct, irrespective. Now, as it, as it turns out, both men's games were also affected by rain. So instead of getting two shortened games at each of the grounds, with the umpires, as I say, television and the teams being able to be flexible, the fans were left with nothing, no completed games. It seems ridiculous that the ECB are making a fanfare over, we're giving equal prize money, for the men's and women's tournaments in the 100. We won't go into the salaries being markedly different, but the prize money at least is a start. And yet they're prioritising the scheduled start of a men's game versus trying to get both played. This comes on top of last year where fans got a full price ticket refund when the men's game in a doubleheader was rained off, even though they got to watch a full women's game being played. It was as if to say, well, you didn't get to see the men's game. You only got to see the women, so here's your money back. It just smacks of a complete disregard and disrespect for the women's cricket and everything being prioritised towards the men's cricket. As I say, not a fault of the umpires, not a fault of the players, not a fault of the teams. They're just following the tournament rules that yet again seem to be set by people who are stuck in the dark ages. And we've had a brilliant Washes summer. You know, the amount of fantastic cricket that has captivated old and new fans alike to the women's game, you know, with the, the, the women's test, the T20s and the ODIs being so closely fought between England and Australia. It just seems to be that the ECB have gone, that was great. And now let's go back to our priority for the men's game. So saying to the EC, ECB, come on. Um, get this sorted so there's parity 
in how you prioritise men's and women's games and give the fans a chance to see some cricket actually being played rather than not prioritising men's at the cost of the women's game, get this sorted, get a grip. Yeah, I, it, it's they just revert to type, don't they? And as you said before, it's not the first time the ECB's been on get a grip, but there's another one for you, boys. Get a grip. We need to see parity. You know, the women's game is where the real growth in both the fan base, participation and coverage is. I mean, same as in football and rugby, the growth in women's sport coverage and um, uh, levels of supporters attending games this summer has been unbelievable. You know, we've had record crowds in the Washes and now yeah. they've gone, you know, when we could get the, the new generation, the youngsters in school holidays involved and engaged, they've just gone, nah, men's game's more important. So it just, just seems ridiculous. Okay. Um, that brings us toward the close of uh, episode 113. A large variety of sports covered again tonight and another exciting week as ever in the world of sport. If you want to hear more about that, be with us at a similar time and a place next week that suits you because we really, really enjoy your company. See you later. Bye. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.